Yeah, I was That's great. Capturing the magic express. Hey, what's up? It's a prison um It's that time again. It's the Enigma Hour with me, Captain Tiki, a.k.a. Waffles. And I'm joined, as always, by the ever-present Captain Dave. We're broadcasting... Hiya, kids. Hiya, kids. We're broadcasting live on KADLP 103.5 FM, Sonora, California. So we broadcast every Thursday. We broadcast every Thursday from 10 p.m. to midnight. Bringing the woo here to Sonora. We specialize in woo. So that was a train, right? It's like a a, a night train. A night train about a prison. (laughs) Well, it just meant... Uh, uh, Mad Daddy Pete Myers, disc jockey, gothic dude in the 1950s. He'd always start his show, radio show. He'd start playing Night Train. Oh, okay. And then you hear the bubbling of the cauldron. And then oh, you I like hear the, him laugh. And he always turned up the reverb <laughs> for his laugh. <laughs> and, uh, and that was a little mo- more maniacal than that. Ah. <laughs> uh, but then he'd say uh, he had his cauldron bubbling with wavy gravy and mellow jello. Oh, and uh, he had the uh, broadcast from somewhere in Cleveland called Dracula's Hall. Okay. And uh, well, we're broadcasting from the basement. Basement of the uh, <laughs> Casino Dome. It doesn't seem quite as exciting. <laughs> well, no, we're going to have someone come in and a professional decorator come in and decorate for Halloween. Oh. I talked to him last night. That, that will make it much better. Yeah. 
He yeah. says hello basement of the stuff. So we, before we begin, I want to like, do a little experiment. And okay. uh, so this was many years ago. I'm a little part, scared. Part of this uh, performance art troupe. Mm -hmm. And we used to go around and create environments for people. Hey, you that's know. what we're talking about tonight. Yeah. Oh, good. So, so we do conventions. Uh, we do uh, restaurants, stores. But we got this job doing a sober grad okay. night at the high school. And I didn't Good. realize they lock you in. Yeah, they lock you in. You can't and, leave. Uh, but this was a big facility. It was one of those big high schools up in Sacramento, River High. I, I don't know. remember the name. But wow. they hired me to create a gypsy encampment. Oh, wow. <clears throat> so we did like Madame Rue's um, tarot and tattoos. Okay. Okay. And it was, it was pretty authentic. Uh, uh, my wife is Turkish anyway, you know, it's like, yeah, so we, I just, we really had the vibe. So uh, the kids wanted to come in uh, and get their cool Japanese tat uh, temporary tattoos. Okay. But they wanted to do tarot. And I noticed that, you know, I'm not like this tarot guy really, you know, but I just do a basic cross. Right. And then I tell them the position and, and just the general meaning of the card. Right. And then they interpret it. You know, you always hear the girl, oh, I know what that means. And uh, they're the ones interpreting the cards. And then I realized, you know, Joseph the dreamer uh -huh. and uh, are the interpretation of dreams. Right. It, it's the dream itself doesn't have any power. No. It's you, the interpretation. Patient. Right. And so you're like projecting or organizing. Uh, what's there, and maybe your subconscious, and uh, you're projecting it onto... Uh, well, that that's not the magical explanation of it, but okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay, Dave. There you go. Oh, okay, Dave, Dave's handing out fortune cookies. Right, so we got these fortune cookies. I'm opening it up. So we're this is like okay. the I Ching or any, you know, in China, they don't have fortune cookies. No, they don't. Okay, I'm going to try to crack it's a, it. It's a Here's San Francisco some... treat. <laughs> oh, that's good. All right, I got the learned Chinese. I got popcorn, which I have no idea how to say that. There will be someone sharing your warmth. What, what does that mean? Well, hopefully when I go home. <laughs> okay. So you got someone at home that's going to lend you some more. I sure hope so. Right. <laughs> well, well, was, uh, were they there when you left? <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, In fact, she was like, you need to go. I'm like, I don't know. She's like, no, you need to go. Oh. <laughs> that's just. Uh, that's actually really, uh, that's synchronistic. Yeah. What'd See? you get? What'd you get? Well, it's learned Chinese potato, and it's malingshu. You know, even if you do that, it's funny in Chinese you go up or down, and it means something totally different. Bao mi hua, I think, is popcorn. Yeah, see, I was uh, my doctor when I was a little infant. I was sick a lot. Was uh, Doctor Lee? Okay. And to me, that's like the wise. I know it's it's a archetypical thing, man. Sure, uh, Mr. Miyagi, you know. 
Well, they right. Mr. Miyagi was Japanese. Okay. <laughs> well, okay. All right, what'd you get? Uh, Jackie Chan did a remake. Uh, it's true. Okay. To make dreams more real, first you have to have them. Now that's insightful. Yeah. I have no dreams. I just show up here. I'm kidding. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> we were just uh, talking about that. You yeah, have to uh, conceive and believe. Yes, you do. And achieve. I like that. All right. To make dreams real, first you have to have them. That is uh, my fortune and my fortune cookie. Well. And so we projected onto them. Yeah. Uh, what was on our mind anyway? Popcorn. So, bon appetit. <laughs> no, mine's potato. <laughs> Potatoes are good too. You got popcorn? I got popcorn. Oh. We got the carby, carbilicious uh, treats. You know, I used to uh, work uh, collecting histories of these old Italian fishermen. Yeah. And I'd go and record their stories. Yeah. And uh, uh, you know what popcorn in Italian is? No. Popsicorne. <laughs> okay. they, they always have to put an I or an O onto everything, even when they're speaking English. You know, oddly, I grew up in Italy. <laughs> did you really? Yes, I did. I was <laughs> born in Germany, and I spent roughly the first five years of my life living on the Adriatic. I lived in a—my dad was stationed at a, a, a NSA listening post, so we listened to traffic, radio traffic out of Yugoslavia, Albania. Yeah. Wow. No, all I knew was the Italian, the— uh, Italian fishermen, uh, old timers down in Pittsburgh, California. Oh, sure. Yeah, I know there were a lot of them there. Yeah, they had the blessing of the fleet. Oh, yeah. Uh, That's important. With uh, Rosalia. No, we we lived in a, well, the base was in uh, San Vito de Namani. But it was like a fishing village, right? Oh, not where I lived. I lived outside of Bari. Okay. In a place called Ostuni. But it, uh, yeah, I, I grew up there. My parents speak fluent Italian. My dad went to uh, Gosh, the man, that's Defense just not Language a, Institute. I just don't, uh, I don't know. I just imagined uh, those old stone buildings on yeah. hills with yeah. Sophia Loren. Yeah, that's what it was like. But it dumped oh. down into the ocean. Yeah. Well, the Adriatic. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we had marble floors. Like, I don't remember, I remember bits and pieces of things. But I remember the floors really, really cold. And the power went off randomly. <laughs> That's the other thing I remember. The power failing. <laughs> That's not good. But, you know, southern Italy, and everybody <clears throat> thinks about northern Italy. They think about Rome and, you know, Milan. And, uh, yeah, southern Italy is not like that at all. It's very sparse. Not a lot of people. It's a very minimal, minimal, rustic place. But where I come from in, in Calabria, they, they have these things called trulies. They're like these weird houses that are designed to, I should turn that down. They, they're designed uh, to route the heat out because it gets hot. No, so they did, uh, the Italians like a, in Pittsburgh did the same thing. It's a shotgun home. <clears throat> or they'd open one end and uh, open the other end and the wind just shot right through there. Oh no, this has to do with the roof. It's like, oh, it's yeah. like conical. I understand, yeah. like the Arabic ice yeah. houses. Yeah. Ah. Anyway, that's not why we're here. <laughs> yeah. 
So I thought, because you came prepared with notes, I thought I would come prepared with notes. No, well, they weren't really notes. I just didn't ha- I could memorize. It's okay. I can't the, memorize this um, crap either. I got uh, you. What was it? The uh, John Lilly code. So I wanted to talk about liminal spaces because we've discussed it in little bits and pieces. So I thought we could discuss liminal spaces. Okay. So I'm going to stress your knowledge of this area to help me find some liminal spaces. All right. Then we can spend people off there with the randonautica and they can go experience weird stuff themselves. What do you think? Uh, well, uh, my knowledge of the liminal might be limited. That's okay. All right. So the first thing I wanted to do is to try to get get our headspace and the listener's headspace into a liminal kind of space, right? Now, before I do, before I do this, I have an interesting way of doing it, and this actually comes from a friend of mine who's obsessed with these these things that I'm about to play as badly as I'm obsessed with them. Now, I'm obsessed for various reasons, and but they're very <clears throat> they're very weird, and you can intercept them on shortwave even to this day. But I went to ChatGPT and I did some uh, technomancy and I got a Fortean description of a liminal space. A Fortean liminal space refers to a location or environment that exhibits unusual or paranormal phenomenon, often associated with the unexplained and mysterious. Life's little mysteries, right, Dave? One of life's little mysteries. The term Fortean is derived from the work of Charles Fort, as we've discussed an early 20th century writer and researcher who cataloged and documented strange and anomalous events that challenged conventional scientific thinking. In the context of 14 studies, a liminal space would typically be a a place where various paranormal and anomalous occurrences are reported and observed. These occurrences might include sightings of UFOs, encounters with cryptids, uh, ghostly apparitions, strange lights, time anomalies, and I have an example about that or other unexplained phenomenon. Liminal spaces of a 14 nature can be associated with high levels of strangeness and uncertainty. Uh, They often serve as focal points for paranormal investigations and are areas of interest of individuals and groups who explore and document 14 phenomenon. These spaces challenge our understanding of the natural world and remain at the fringes of scientific knowledge, making them intriguing subjects for those interested in the unexplained and the mysterious. Now, I also did a, why do liminal spaces feel so unsettling yet so familiar? But basically what it comes down to is architecturally, liminal spaces are transition zones, doorways, gateways, pathways. They're, they're seen as, as a space between spaces. And so they're uncomfortable, but they're familiar because they're uncomfortable because you're transitioning between two spaces. You know, uh, we are broadcasting underneath a dome. Yes. And uh, that is a a sacred architectural uh, connections uh, type of cover in there. Now, here's the fun part. So one of the things that I've I've often discussed with my friend Chris, who who filled in for you while you were out of Bigfoot Fest, Chris and I for a long time have had a discussion about something called a number station. Number stations are spy stations that are broadcast in shortwave. Right, I I uh, looked uh, listened to one. Why okay, 
Well, so you, yeah, you can pick them up all the time on shortwave. Just scan shortwave, you'll find them. They use them to this day. You, yeah, you can get a shortwave player right on uh, uh, online. Yeah, and you can listen. Uh, and they're they're one of the most secure ways for spies to send messages because they use a one-time password, or not a one-time password, like a one-time decryption key. So when they read off the numbers, the numbers correspond to words and phrases, and then you they're usually on uh, flash paper. You burn it, and then that's it. It can never be decrypted again. But one thing that, that Chris and I have often believed is that because of the nature of them, that they're so weird when you listen, and we're not talking UVB 76 with a buzzer. We're talking real, you know, number stations. No, they, 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 they give numbers. you a weird feeling. They I give you a weird feeling. Li- listen to one one night. Right. So what I did is I downloaded a couple. So I'm going to play a couple and kind of get get us in the weird headspace. Okay. And if anybody's interested, after the show, before we kick over to the overnight uh, psychedelic. Uh, you like that overnight. I do. Huh? I like the psychedelic one. But I put in an extra 30 minutes of number stations. Okay. So you can listen to number stations after the show. Okay, you ready? Uh, sh- shoot. Okay, here we go. And I'm going to leave the mics up. Good music, too. Yeah. Here we go. Number stations give me music, too. I played for a couple days with a shortwave player. It was a lot of fun. It is. Now, what's happening 
when you're listening to that is that there's somebody on the other end who's writing these numbers down and then looking them up because these numbers are the key to a message. And actually some of these numbers, at least for being broadcast out to the Pacific zone, were actually broadcast from Dixon, California, uh, where the Voice of America was. Sometimes they they pass these messages on side frequencies, subcarriers, but these are more direct, shortwave. They're just weird. They are weird. They give you a, a feeling. And a lot of it has to do with the static. Uh, it's like you're touching like a different dimension almost. Yeah. You know, my, when I was a little kid, my dad had shortwave system. It was like the whole garage filled with tubes, glowing oh, wow. tubes. That's pretty awesome. And uh, he'd go, skip? Is that, what yes. does that mean? Okay. Okay, so skip, skip is when you transmit. Usually it's FM, but it, the troposphere rises. And when the transmission goes out, the waveform of the transmission is actually able to go higher because the troposphere lifts and it allows you to transmit further. That's why, you know, back in the old days, there was a station called KGO and they had like... I lived right by KGO. Yeah. So like they had like 100,000 watts or something. They had three antennas three right antennas. there on the Bayland. That's right. Right off of uh, the Dumbarton, I think. Dumbarton. Yeah. That's where I live. Well, well so, I didn't live in Dumbarton. But well, anyway, so there were times where I remember driving once and I got out as far. You can eat your fortune cookie, no, it'll, Dave. It'll, it'll crackle. That's okay. Go ahead, talk. I'm interested. Okay, so <clears throat> I was driving and I got as far as Wyoming and I could still hear it. And wow. so there, there are times when you'll be listening on FM. That was an AM transmission, but you know FM is particularly susceptible to it. There are times when if you're out in the plains somewhere with not a lot of mountains or, and stuff, you can actually pick up, like if you're down in lower altitude in like the Central Valley, you might get a radio station out of Reno. You might get one out of Boise, you know, Seattle. And sometimes they'll they'll fade in, fade out because the, the waveform can go higher. So it goes further. So uh, there's a famous uh, uh, concert composition by John Cage. Okay. And it's a, a some kind of concerto for radios. Okay. And the score is uh, you turn the dial to a certain frequency. Okay. And everybody does it in unison. But as they traveled across the country, you know, it's like tune to this one, stop, tune to this one. So many beats. And uh-huh. he has a whole orchestra of radio. Oh, wow. But as they move across the country... You might tune into that frequency, but you might be getting something else. So the concert changed each time they uh, performed it. Now you see, again, that creates a liminal kind of space because it's it's transitional. So what I wanted to do, so when I was at Bigfoot Fest, one of the, I went to the symposium and they talked about some Bigfoot hotspots. So Bigfoot hotspots, as we heard in our chat GPT explanation of a 14 liminal space, a Bigfoot hotspot would be categorized as a 14 liminal space. And one of the things that the guy said that I thought was very interesting is that he said that pretty much around here, at least pretty, you know, in Tuolumne and, and, uh, 
our neighboring counties, if you go to the edge of the forest, right, just pull up to the, you, you remember, just pull up to the edge of the forest and that's where you can start. But again, that edge of the forest is a liminal, innately liminal space. That's right, where civilization ends and and the the forest forest begins. begins. And there's a lot of those. Right. And interestingly enough, in more ancient times in England, they had a a thing called a hedge witch. And the hedge witch would live at the edge of the forest. This was in Europe in general. The, The hedge witch would live at the edge of the forest and they served as the guide and the to help you transition into the forest, which was a dark and foreboding place. Well, you know, um, two-thirds of Yosemite is in Tuolumne. Right. Uh, you got land by the uh, Stanislaus National Forest. Right. And then you have the Bureau of Land Management land, the BLM land. Right. So out of all that land, uh, where do people live? I mean, our entire county is only 50,000 people. It's only 50,000? Yeah, 54, I think. Oh, wow. I thought it was a little bigger. No. So, I mean, yeah, that's, that's a small city. This, this yeah. is our biggest city, Sonora. And uh, it's our uh, county seat. It's the only one well, that's the only, actually certified real. as a city. <clears throat> and uh, we only have 4,000 people. Yeah, I think it's like 4,500 or something. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. So uh, there are. My only point being is there are a lot of roads, yeah, where uh, it meets the forest. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much all of them eventually meet the forest. <laughs> but but again, these are you know he he talked about a couple of spots, in particular one of which was Highlands Lake. Now what's interesting about Highlands Lake is that this last weekend uh we went on a bit of an adventure and so we drove out to northern nevada along the oregon border to go opal mining at a place called the royal peacock mine and we found some opals they're very small but it was really cool because we got tons and tons and tons of like petrified wood obsidian because like the obsidian there it's just on the ground but it was a very liminal place it, it was very strange well one of the places it tried to route us through ebbets pass to get there faster. We saved a whopping 20 minutes, which turned into like 45 minutes of us like creeping over this pass, right? right? It's a pretty nasty drive. But oddly, we passed by Highlands Lake. So we were in a very liminal environment and you could feel it. You really could feel it. You get up past Lake Alpine and it it gets weird. Yeah, I've been following, uh, I've, uh, I'm helping this lady that's working for the state. Right. And uh, she's, uh, categ- uh, we're following the Tuolumne County watershed. Okay. Um, and she's cataloging bugs. Okay. But my job is to get a recorder and make sounds. I record the sounds of the creeks and the okay. rivers and sure. uh, stuff like that. And there are some uh, little spaces by these little creeks uh, that are uh, pretty magical, where everything kind of changes. Yeah, and, you know, I have... The fairy enchanted places. They are. And, you know, I have some land in Oregon, uh, east of Klamath Falls, actually toward Lakeview, where, you know, this this opal mine is. And uh, when you go on the land, right, it's all forest, it's like three acres of forest. And so you pull up 
and you park your car and you kind of walk up. It's slightly inclined. And as you climb up into it, time changes. And the, the most, <clears throat> the strangest I've ever experienced there was that we, I took my kids and my parents and we were kind of hanging out because I was trying to decide, do I really want to buy this land? And we were there. We thought we were there for about an hour. We were actually there for over six hours. Wow, that is a time loss. Now that's a yeah, time loss. That's a straight up time loss. It, it, that land is extremely liminal. I mean, I've had people offer to buy it off me. or I just, I can't get rid of it because there's something magical about that place. But yes, when you go there, we actually used a stopwatch once to try to figure it out. And percept, perceptively, we thought we were there for about three, we thought we were there for about 45 minutes, but we were there for about two and a half hours. Hmm. And I've, I've had some psychics tell me there's like portals on it and stuff, but it is, but yeah. And, and I find that- What does the, the land look like? Is it wooded? Oh yeah, it's all forest. <clears throat> Lodgepole pines, you know. So uh, your driveway uh, is rock, but I mean it ends at the end of the edge of the forest. Well, there's there's no real driveway. Like you just pull over on the side of the road. Oh, okay. and it's Hike starting, in. Huh? Yeah, <laughs> the whole three acres. I'm out there huffing and puffing. Oh, three acres. <laughs> but yeah, it's a, it's a very liminal space. That's when I first started to really understand that transition zone because like the directions that he gave you know it's like turn onto this road here turn onto crabtree road go left at at, a, at spin meadows go right at, at bell meadow toward bell mountain and then you're just there and it's like he's giving you basically directions to the forest but these interactions that he kept talking about with bigfoot and sasquatch whatever you want to call it they're all at the edge of the forest, and that edge is the transition zone, which is a liminal space. Well, I never really thought of it that way, but I bring the kids. Uh, I mean, that was the whole point was, you don't need to hike all the way back in there. No, that, and, he said that point blank. And, uh, you know, when you have like these big uh, sightings sometimes come like in waves right. or, um, and so there's after the fire ten years ago, there was a big rash of because they were displaced. Right. Uh, yeah, you go up by Kennedy Meadows, it's all burned down. Uh, but when they built, uh, when you disturb the land, right? So uh, the real famous one up here that took place in '63, I think it was, where the sheriff's department spent uh, three days tra trying to track this thing down. Yeah. And they was leaving footprints all over the place, but they couldn't, uh, couldn't find it. Yeah. And it bluff charged. The first night was the big encounter. But anyway, it was on a brand new housing tract. It had just been built. People were just moving in. And uh, there were a lot of complaints calling it was raiding the trash cans. <laughs> <laughs> like a bear? 
No, uh, the guy, these were experienced woodsmen, these sheriffs. Oh, I bet. And he says, that was no better. <laughs> and, and it bluff charged them. They had a retreat back to the patrol car. They followed it all, all night long until they ran out of gas, had to go down and get the gas, came back up and listened to it howl for the rest of the night. Sure. And then there were prints that came up the next day with full force, the full sheriff's department. Yeah. And uh, there were tracks all over. But again, this is a liminal space. Yeah, this I is know exactly the, what you're talking about. Yeah, it's it's that transition zone. And he was the thing that struck me about what he said is that it was he he quite literally was like, you don't need to go deep into the forest. No. You come to the edge of the forest and yeah. it'll and say, I'm over here, and it'll come to you. And actually, that's interesting because I was I was talking to somebody who <clears throat> who's a Paiute from Mono Lake. And she was saying that that in their belief system, the Bigfoot, right, that if you Bigfoot will appear for different reasons, and one of them is if you want him there, he'll show up. The other is that if you're doing bad things, he'll come to stop you. But if you, it's almost like if you think about him, he'll be there and he'll man. Effectively, it sounded like manifest. Well, you know, uh, it's a mixed bag. The Yaya Lee around here isn't necessarily the good guy. No, and, but... And uh, uh, there's this... Um, there were a couple stories. Oh, there's one story. So the, um, uh, they used to go out hunting father and son. Right. And uh, what they would do is they show up a month before hunting season and lay out corn or something to fe- actually feed the deer. Right. So the deer would know to come to uh, this place where they're going to do the hunting. Pretty smart. Very smart. Uh, so this was a tradition of him and his son. Right. His son commits suicide. So he goes to hunt, and and there's Bigfoot. He gets encounters Bigfoot, and it's a scary experience for him, and he says, I'll never go to that place again. Yeah. Uh, because uh, I saw Bigfoot. Yeah, yeah, they were scared of it. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's pretty frightening. But, you know, I was thinking Although about there was another story where uh, a young boy encountered uh, uh, a family uh-huh. of Yah Yah Lee. I'm messing with Dave. <laughs> He's trying to chew quietly with It's his. not obviously not working. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Wait till the break. All right. Uh, that was unprofessional of me. Right. <laughs> but he got pretty scared. Yeah. Because he was in the woods with the Playboy. magazine. <laughs> 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 and now Pop's Bigfoot. <laughs> well, you know, and it's interesting because one of the other things that they say about liminal spaces, and, you know, anybody, well, I mean, around here, I suspect most people have been to Yosemite. But when you go into the Yosemite Valley, Valley the Yosemite Valley itself is a liminal environment. It, it has this vibe, like it ha- it's not a bad vibe, but it has an otherworldliness to it. Yeah, but you have to be in tune with that. Sure. So, like, there's two ways to think about it. It's like you're raised when you go into a movie theater, you're quiet. Right. Right. So the movie theater has a kind of this atmosphere when you sure. walk into it's it. It's very atmosphere. So is it just like a train thing, or you go into a church? 
Right. And this is like the church that stood for a century, right? Yeah, you, you're supposed to be reverent and, and quiet. Uh, well, not, not that you're supposed to be. Somehow or another, the prayers from the hundred years right. actually become imbued <clears throat> with uh, this whatever you want to call it. So when you right. will go in there, you experience it. Have you walked into a room and there's nothing happening, but you know a fight had just taken place there. Yes, it's because it's like the uh, some kind of vibe. Yeah, that, there's uh, like the the space is disrupted. Right. So, um, is it like going into a movie theater? Like you uh, are just like a cultural well, thing? Yeah, but I don't think. Or if you go in and it's because the place itself is imbued. Well, what I was going to say about Yosemite is that you know it's liminal enough, right? that there's actually two cryptids that live inside Yosemite, not only Sasquatch, which we all know, Bigfoot, Bigfoot, Yosemite, Bigfoot, Bigfoot, right? But the Fresno Nightcrawler apparently originates from the Yosemite Valley as well. Well, tell us about the Fresno Nightcrawler. You you, you were talking about it uh, uh, one night. Well, the, the Fres- it's an interesting cryptid that's been seen around, you know, Fresno and Merced and, you know, that area. And basically, it looks like a pair of pants walking. It's the the damnedest thing when you see it on videos of it. It literally looks like a pair of white pants walking around. And it's it's a it's seen on occasion. And they there's no arms. It's just legs and eyes. It's a bit creepy. But apparently, it originally emanates from Yosemite. Uh, you know, there's a whole. Uh mythology, uh, Miwok mythology that uh, they have, you know, they have uh, their equivalent of the leprechaun. Right. Uh, the Sikas. Yeah. yeah, the little people. And uh, they're pranksters. They play tricks right. on you. And they have mermaids. I didn't know about and, the mermaids. Oh, yeah. They uh, go to um, natural bridges. It's supposed to be up under there. Okay, well, you see, again, this is a liminal space. Yeah, natural bridges is. So it's... Uh, uh, a cave, actually, that you go swimming in. But uh, you, you're walking across the top, and it looks like a bridge, but it's a rock. It's a natural rock. See, what we encountered is we actually <clears throat> went out to Lovelock Cave. We found it. Okay. And we drove through the desert. So I hear they got a, like, a, once you get there, they've got a little marker there. They do. They it. do, and they have a little standing area. And, you know, we walked around inside tried to figure out what was where, where do they find the, the giant bodies, which was fairly difficult to try to figure out. But, you know, that that environment was weird. Like, it has a vibe. The only way I can describe it is it has a vibe. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I try to work with these things because I was in Nevada and I went, there was this fort, but right next to it was Ichiosaurus. Okay. State Park in Nevada. Okay. And what they've done is it's it's the site of this ancient ocean. And so instead of excavating it all, they just like made a maze. They cut down into the uh, strata. Right. And so as you're walking through this maze, you're looking at the walls on either oh, side sure. of you. And there's uh, like uh, Ichiosauruses swimming, the full skeletal totally oh, wow. articulated you know oh wow and those uh wave uh waving sea corals that got the 
you know, the big yeah. arms and heads, you know. And boy, that gave me an eerie feeling. Yeah, and it's it's strange because, you know, it, it really struck me when I was listening to him talk. You know, he was very blunt about it. It was like, you don't need to go deep into the forest. Because I always figured, you know, I mean, I saw Bigfoot on the side of a mountain. You know, I was, I think I was nine miles away. And we watched two of them climb up the side of a mountain. And the, the place where I was, you know, it's called East SETI. It's a ranch and it's, it's a very strange place. You know, we talked about it, you know, when Chris was on, but it, <laughs> but you know, like I, I, I mean, it was climbing up the side of a mountain. Like I went out, I went out toward um, Dar- the Dardanelles. You know, there's a, a sky watching spot up above Strawberry that I go to sometimes. And, you know, I'd hear them. I'd hear them yelling. What county is that right above us there? You go over the Dardanelles. What county is that after? Oh, I have no idea. Well, anyway, there's this guy. It's Mono County, I think it is. Okay. And uh, I've gotten emails from this guy. He checked out one of my radio shows and wrote to me. He actually has a newsletter. He sent me a newsletter. But he runs a... um, uh, like I, a curiosity shop. Really? I mean, it has, you know, Sasquatches and UFO stuff, and it's out in the middle of the woods. And he wrote, because I, he and knew. And you didn't, you didn't think that you should share this with me before? Uh, you know, my dream is to own a curi- is to own a curiosity shop like that. I mean, well, I want to have a, I'm going to, one day I'm going to They're serious about their UFOs. Oh, this yeah. This guy, um, swears he's they make regular stops up one, in there one day i want to have a tiki bar and i actually want to broadcast this show from above the tiki bar right. but my other dream was always i actually almost bought it it had been the grocery store in fort klamath oregon and i actually almost bought it to turn it into a curiosity shop and bigfoot museum yeah well that's I own a UFO. what this is i own a ufo Okay, I, and I can't remember the name of it. I'll look it up. Yeah, you look it up. Okay. That's I mean, your you mission. Go, yeah, what is that? You go up there in Bodie? Yeah. Uh, in that area, but you got to go further, actually. And, uh, but well, it's up me, around in there. Tell me where this place is. Okay, I will, I'll, I will go. I'll do my research homework. I mean, Maybe we'll go there and interview the guy. We Seems should. really interesting. We guy. should take a road trip and go and Maybe we'll just do a, he a has pre-recorded. Seen, he, he sent me his UFO story. He has some kind of little newsletter that he prints those kinds of stories in. Curiosity Yeah, we could pre-record, pre-record a right. show. And um, he has a novelty shop or a souvenir shop, but all the souvenirs are little UFOs, UFOs and stuff. Yeah, I got to go to this place. All right. I can skip the clown motel, but this I got to go to. Oh, okay. No, but but that's that's just it. There's something. This it's like this whole place is liminal. It is our our whole county. Yeah, is. and and the more I talk to you, and you know, we haven't gotten any guests on yet. More, you know, we were we were brainstorming that. We're there are a few people we, we're going to get on. You know, we we've solved the technical issues, so we can do it now. But <clears throat> it's just fascinating just talking to you about it because this place is just so damn liminal. Like it's everywhere. Um, so I, I, 
you, I guess you can call it volunteering as I go down once a week to the History and Re Research Center. And that was the old prison uh, okay. that, was, that was built in 1867. Okay. So, I mean, it's uh, cool brick and sure. iron. Okay, the iron shutters and stuff. Well, they have this locking system for the cells. It's, it's really strange. You know, this is back in the 1860s technology. Uh, uh, the custodian would just uh, lock it in and all of them, it's a big bar that comes down with these things that lock the, all the oh, doors yeah, at I've once. Oh, yeah, I've seen that. And these are these big iron doors, right? Right. So I don't know if the guy was cold, he was drunk, and, uh, but he set his cell on fire, but it's like brick. He set his mattress on fire, okay. and a big fire broke out, and they're trying to get this guy out, but the fire was so uh, intense that it expanded the iron, oh, so they and they couldn't move, move it. And the guy burned to death, and then I went in, and, and we got a guy's coming here on Halloween morning expecting some kind of haunted house or right. um, uh, Tuolumne, I met him at the Bigfoot Festival right. and he says, man, I always try to find places and all I had to do is come to Tuolumne County because everybody was telling him about Bigfoot and oh, yeah. all, the, all the other phenomena here. Sure. <clears throat> and so I went down and I, I said, hey, I, I know it's kind of a weird request, but what do you have on ghosts, hauntings? And the guy brought out more literature, more books than I could sit and read uh, right then. And this is at the, the Everywhere. county? This, um, yeah, in, in our county, yeah, in Tuolumne County. So the um, museum itself is a haunted structure. Well, I, I would argue that the, the entire, we've discussed this before, the entirety of Sonora is haunted because either the buildings are so old or the, there's mines under like half of the, the Oh, so uh, the Willow in Jamestown, that's exactly what happened. Right. It was a mining disaster, and they built on top of it. Then they kept having fires. All of what's left is that little corner that's the old thing. But they had like the... It was a famous TV show, kind of like Haunting Hunters or something. So oh, Ghost, Ghost Hunters. Hunters. And um, they identified at least 30 ghosts. That uh, of people that I have a mine under my house. Uh, well, did it collapse and kill hundreds of people? No. And then some places are so haunted they've named uh, the ghosts. Right, you were telling so, me. So yeah, that at the awesome. Na uh, National Hotel Slow. Right. right. And then in the um, now I'm trying to think what hotel is it? It's but not you see, the again, the, these are liminal. The whole place is liminal. And there's one that, uh, that wasn't haunted until they brought in this antique bed. Well, and, that's because the bed's haunted. And it's really cool, the, the story behind it, because the bed was supposed to be shipped over the around the horn okay. and, um, and arrive at, the, um, at that hotel or at, at the place for this woman they were going to get married. This was going to be their marriage bed. Okay. And the guy... The bed arrived, but the guy didn't. He died. That's awful. And uh, and she committed suicide on that bed. And there's little girls bouncing a ball at the Sonora Inn and the upstairs, or a little boy or girl. Yeah, really? 
Uh, there's one hotel that's so haunted that they leave notebook, a little pad and paper on your table to record any phenomena. Which, ho- which hotel is that? I, I think it's uh, one of the ones in Jamestown. There's ones that they see orbs. Um, and then you were telling me, and I, I went, I looked it up, the show, and I, I don't oh, know. The, yeah, the hospital. Uh, the hospital, and that, oh, yeah. uh, that was kind of. nuts. Yeah, that was. Um, uh, but I got a tour of that place from the uh, caretaker right. uh, at that time, and uh, he was a pretty jovial guy. And what was the name of the ghost? He had one of the ghosts he had named. Yeah, I forget the name. You told me what uh, it was. Yeah, and I told you, now I can't remember it, but uh, <laughs> just the vibe of the place. Yeah, so, you know, I thought. You go up and down an empty brick antique hospital. Yeah, well, hospitals innately are haunted. Because, again, the, the funny thing about hauntings, right, is that typically the most powerful hauntings of all are in spaces where they're liminal because they're innately transition, transitional. So, you know, there's hospitals where people go from being alive to being dead, and in some cases from being dead to being alive. It's this transitional, the trauma of the transitions, right? Bus, you know, uh, bus depots, uh, rail stations, airports, because people are are moving through them. They uh, right, they have the uh, rail town has their ghost tours. Right, Columbia has their ghost tours. Yeah, I, I always see when my my one son when he comes up, we go to Columbia and pretty much we always go in the middle of the night. We get crazy, uh, the spirit box. We get crazy activity by the by the school, and then we always get a photo of a person standing in the upper windows of the fire station. So uh, one day, night I was there in Columbia, and there was like this crowd of people, and they're all talking to these other people, and they were some <clears throat> television ghost people, and. Uh, I heard the guy saying, yeah, the faucet turned on and off all by itself. And uh, I actually looked it up later. And it is eerie that it really did slip on and off. But, you know, it's interesting because, you know, my my idea was let's talk about liminal spaces. But it's like pretty much the whole place is just liminal. Uh but what, what do you think the re? Oh, you were just saying that there are transitional spaces. Well, transitional spaces yeah, are, are usually it. haunted. Um, I mean, that's not why I think it's so haunted here. I have a theory about why in Tuolumne County, why there's so much strange stuff. And did you hint that uh, I have a belief that places become imbued? Right. With um, either an, an event that happened yeah, the, there, like emotion, um, uh, and that the walls uh, yeah, they are it. the uh, are the the area. I, right. I slept in a kiva one night in the southwest. We were touring all these different new sites that they that they they're still discovering sure. sites out there, and uh, we all spent the night there. And I'm, I, you know, I'm the student, but these are all like the professors and stuff. And 
I go, man, did I have a dream? And everybody had the same dream. And it yeah. was a scary dream. And we packed up and left. And we were supposed to spend three days at that site. And so, you know, you could say, oh, the young kids, you know, just superstitious. But it scared everybody in the camp. Well, the, the thing about, about liminal spaces in a 14 context is that these, these are spaces where the, the veil between different, I don't know if you want to say dimensions, but I say the veil between different ethereal planes is particularly either porous or it's very thin. So I told you that my grandmother was a spiritualist, okay? So I'm a little kid, and I'm talking little kids, you know, like eight years old, 10 years old, something like that. And I go in and see my grandmother. Well, she held court in her bed. Okay. These people would come to her and bring, uh, you know, f flowers is what she liked. They, the whole room was like filled with flowers. It, it, I That's mean, crazy. I've never seen a hospital room with that many flowers in it. And... Um, and come so they could communicate with, I guess, their last dead relatives or whatever. Sure. Uh, my grandmother would channel her Aunt Mabel, okay. and it was her entry into the spirit world. So I go in there, and I go, Grandma, it, it's so cold in here. And she says, that's your Aunt Mabel. And yeah. I said, you know what, Grandma, it might help if you shut the window. <laughs> no, I mean it. Why did it, those things only happen when I was with my grandmother? Okay, and I can tell you some pretty like kind of eerie stuff that happened. So I remember one time I was at a party and we were uh, going to all take a group picture. It was like a family gathering. Oh, sure. And so we all line up, and somebody takes a picture with the Polaroid. It was the Polaroid, yeah, those yeah. Kodak Polaroids. You just it develops yeah, you right there. Yeah. And so you get the picture, and then right in the middle, well, not in the middle, kind of over on one side, there was a glare, you know? And my grandmother says, oh, that's, that's Aunt Mabel. And I go, no, Grandma, it's... We had this clock, you know. It was yeah. a, a, it was the flash off the clock face, okay? Right. So then we all moved to the other side of the room uh, to take a picture away from the clock, completely the other side of the room. Take the picture, and the glare was still there in the same place. And no clock. Yeah. No. Right. But, but when I'm away from my grandma, uh, that doesn't happen. So, I mean, you can go back to Lily's theorem. Um, what you believe is true is true. Well, sure. That's, that's the, the notion that we manifest reality. Right. Yeah. Or can be true. Right. We can manipulate so, reality. Yeah, we can manipulate reality. And what's interesting is that here, in particular, that is particularly strong. And my, my belief is, is that here we are. We're in the gold country. We're surrounded by gold mines all the way up to Pinecrest and down, down all the way to Oakdale. There's mines everywhere. The Harvard mine, the this mine, the Bonanza mine, the My that dad mine. used to live in the Long Kiln mine. There you go. But in in most situations, gold, mine. gold is, is, is in court seams. No, we used to go on my dad's property. We used to go crystal hunting. Right. And there's just an insane amount of crystal in this place. 
and it's it's believed that crystal can be used to manifest spirits. Into, oh, yeah, Marion Zimmer Bradley, all those little uh, packets. It's right. like this weird, I don't know, what, what do you call that? Romance uh, novels in a way. Yeah. Uh, but they were like, not science, fantasy. And they all communicated with crystals, charged their crystals. But you're sitting, you're sitting on crystals right now. Yeah. They're yeah. everywhere. So if you think about the, the amount of quartz that's in the granite and everything else that we're sitting on, it's insane. Yeah, I made a quartz radio. You just run the quartz up and down the copper wire. Yeah. You get in the radio station. But but you see what I'm saying is that we're we're sitting on top of yeah. just an insane amount of crystals. And I believe crystals and then crystals are used to power things and right. stuff. So they're an amplifier. Right. So and uh, I really believe that. Waves. I believe in waves and vibrations. Hey so Dave. Surround you. What? Do you know what time it is? It's break time? It's break time already. Okay. All right. You're listening to the Enigma Hour on KADLP 103.5 FM, broadcasting live from Sonora. And we're going to take a little break. Now you can eat your cookie. Yeah.
On Foothill Forum, we'll visit with friends and neighbors who are doing interesting things in the Sierra Foothills. Tune in to Foothill Forum on Saturday at 10 a.m. or Sunday at 10 a.m. I'm Patty Cherry, and remember, stay curious.
We're back. A little extra long break there. Sorry about that. We, we were... get talking outside and we just can't... Uh... Can't stop. <laughs> yeah, you're listening to the Enigma Hour uh, with Captain Tiki, Mule Phillips, and Captain Dave. And on KAADLP, 103.5 FM Sonora, and streaming at kaad-lp.org. And on your favorite podcasting service that's right yeah we're an apple Podcasts and soundcloud and yeah just uh, look up the enigma hour and subscribe right? that's right you should subscribe right. and write me checks for millions of dollars and, well i don't know oh, about that. i can try but yeah so we were talking about liminal spaces we were actually talking about them more out there and also i i thought of something and you were talking about the uh, those number channels. Number stations, yeah. And um, uh, so I used to have a co-host. Her name was Sue. Okay. And she's in her 90s now. So she was actually grew up, she was a beatnik. That grew up in the beatnik area in the 50s. And she was right. very avant-garde. She was a little wild. You could always tell. I mean, just her swagger. I just love her so much. And uh, she has blue hair. Oh, wow. And so she says she went on a date, and they were going to have an avant-garde performance Okay. Uh, that she was going to go to. Is this an avant-garde performance, what we do once a week on Thursdays? Well, yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, it's revolutionary. Well, that's exactly what I'm going to. Right. Uh, they sat down, and the performance started, and they just pressed a tape recorder, and it kept saying, number nine, number nine, number nine, number, number nine. nine. And she, uh, she sat there uh, trying to appreciate what was going on, but she finally told her day, you know what, I, I need to get out of here. Okay. And I said, have you ever heard Revolution Number Nine by the Beatles? She goes, no, I've never heard that song before. And so I put it on for her, and that has the number nine. Let me see if we have it. You keep talking. Well, it's the same. She said it was the same voice. Uh, so John Lennon knew of that performance and uh, incorporated it into uh, his, his thing. Now, I don't know what the point of that performance was. Um, I, I know there was one that this guy would read these phrases and it would keep repeating and then create a resonant field. Yeah, that's So that right. everything starts getting distorted. It just starts echoing off and gets uh, louder and louder, too. As the, They finally had to shut down the exhibit <laughs> because it got so loud they had to start it over again. So that really worked. Well, I was actually telling Dave that I want to do an experiment. You know, following in the in the whole Art Bell, you know, kind of trajectory, where 
I want to broadcast a low frequency over the radio. And what's what supposedly happens when you do this is that when you're broadcasting, like within the studio itself, things will manifest like ghosts. You know, if there are ghosts in the area, that they'll they'll come, they'll start to do things around where you're broadcasting from. So inside the bunker here, we probably have some strange things happening. So you're uh, making tremulations upon the either, huh? Exactly. But there, in some cases, you know, if, if you're open to it, but only if you're open to it, uh, things can happen to the listener as well. Uh, you know, um, so another station, and it's not exactly like that, put on a marathon. They were going to broadcast for like 24 hours. Okay. And it was a, some kind of series of frequencies. Yeah. And uh, they did it as a fundraiser, and they raised a lot of money. And I listened to part of it. It's like I remember one time my friend took me down, and it was they were reading Ulysses. And okay. they had the choir and everything. But it went on for, I don't know, two or three days. Oh, I found it. Okay. Oh, Revolution Number 9? Yeah. All right. So th this is the same voice that was in the exhibition that my friend Sue went to in the 1950s. Okay, here we go. Rev Revolution number nine by the Beatles. Number nine, number nine, number nine, number nine. Oh, that is number weird. Nine, number nine, number nine. It's switching nine, back and forth. Number nine, number nine. Number nine, number nine, number nine, number nine, number nine. And so that was the same. Uh, she said that is the recording of it. She said that is the same voice, exactly what she remembered. It's eerie. Number nine, number nine, number nine, number nine, Number nine. That is eerie. Number nine. Number nine. Number nine. Number nine. Well, it's going left, right, nine, left, right as well. And that might have been um, the way the performance went uh, when she went to go see it. And she didn't tell me whether or not they had a classical piano playing with it. Yeah, All no, she said weird. it was just kept saying number nine over and over again. It was too much. Yeah, she didn't get into it. She didn't dig it. Well, the number nine, though, it's, I mean, it's, this is a mystical number. I mean, it, you know, it's three times three, right? And when you, when the three, number three is very mystical, but when you multiply it by itself by three, it's supposed to exponentially increase the power of the number. Right. So the number nine is actually a very powerful, like, right. uh, magic number. Well, yeah, I guess it is. This is Trinity. It's Kether, Bana, and... Uh, well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> well, the, the secret chiefs, I mean, they're, they're a calling card if you believe in the secret chiefs, which is a Thelemic thing. But I would say it's also just a, a magical thing. But if you believe in the secret chiefs, their calling card is a number 93. So when you see a number 93, it's them sending you a message that you're doing something right. Well, you know, the MST, the Marsh Science Temple, it's right. uh, Circle 7. Well, 7, again, is a magic, very magical number. I mean, I don't have the meanings in front of me. You know, it depends on 
which numerological system you use. But but the idea between about 93, you know, is that it's 13 times, you know, times three in reverse. All right, so you sit at home and make magic squares, number squares? I do not. But I can. No, actually, what I, if you want to get into that, one, I actually publish a book by a guy named Alan Greenfield, and uh, I'll get him on the show so we can interview him. But uh, he wrote a book called The Secret, The Complete Secret Cipher of the Euphonauts. It's actually the fusion of, so it's, the, there are actually three books in the series. There's the secret cipher of the euphonauts, the secret rituals of the men in black, and the the real black lodge revealed. Those are the three parts. But in the secret cipher of the euphonauts, he uses something called the ALW cipher, which originally comes from Crowley. That when when Crowley was receiving the book of the book of law, right from from uh, I believe it was from Lamb, that he was told that there was a cipher hidden within the book, but he couldn't figure it out. So in the 70s, this guy in England actually figured, all, all he knew is that there was, there was a page. And if you look at the handwritten version of the Book of Law, there's a page where he wrote a bunch of stuff and then he gridded it. And there's a line that runs through ALW. That's why it's called the ALW cipher. So A is one, L is two, and W is three. And so what it does is it assigns a numerical value to every letter. And then what you do is that you take a phrase from the Book of Law. Well, that, that's the way it is in Hebrew. The letters right. are well, it's not based the, on the numbers. It's based on the Kabbalah. So you, what you do is you, you type in a question, right? And then it creates a numerical value for that question based on the letters. And then it will it will give you a result that shows, you can do it manually, but most people use a computer. There's an app on, on iPhone, but it gives you phrases that have the same numerical value. And then from the phrases, you can derive the answer to your question. Yeah, it's, uh, what is that called when you uh, count the numbers in the phrases in the Hebrew, Jamara or something Jumantria? like yeah, uh, where you're actually counting the numbers, uh, value of each uh, uh, letter, or the combinations of uh, uh, the letters. Right. But I mean, there's different ways to look at at the word. The, exactly. Uh, has multiple meanings to it. Yeah, and, based on the numerical value. Um, so, anyway, I told you about there was this. Uh, this guy when uh, the fall of the Inca Empire. Oh, right. You were telling me about this. And the uh, so the conquistadores came in and everybody's dying of smallpox and they're slaughtering people. But one of the conquistadores fell in love with the Inca princess. Okay. And they married and they had offspring. Now this offspring grew up on both sides of the fence, right? He actually went to, he, uh, it's mandatory if you wanted to get an education, you became a priest. Right. That was the only way you could get an education back then inside. But he also learned from the priests are the um, uh, Kipa Mayo, the uh, scribes uh, of right. the ancient. So what they would do, he was the one, he could, he could speak Quechua, Spanish, um, Latin. Latin. Yeah. yeah, all those uh, languages. 
So what they're starting to discover now, the quipus, right. um, you know, they still use them today, but it's the count sheep. Right. All right. It's just a series of knots. Right. And it's like an abacus or something. Right. So, uh, but they say, no, a lot of these are really complicated things, but they, how do you, where's the Rosetta Stone? Right. You know, I mean, how is the information encoded onto yeah, these series no, of knots? There's no key. So, uh, but in the, a lot of the old Spanish, uh, the priests, uh, I mean, most of what we know about the Incas comes from these, uh, these priests, these Spanish priests. And this one right. guy, uh, as a matter of fact, he was in prison and got caught because they were destroying the secret knowledge of the Inca. You know, they had a way of mummifying that people kept their looks for a long time. Right. And these ancient family members, when there was the committee meetings to make decisions, right. they would bring the mummies out of these people um, so they could participate in the committee meeting. Okay. And uh, so, I mean, they're destroying all this stuff. Right. So he's trying to help them. He's torn between these two cultures. Yeah, right? he's, he's hovering in between them, right? Well, you know, they went to these Kipu Mayos or whatever they were called, the scribes, right. the ones that were expert at uh, making the Kipus, and um, would get, they want to know, well, what is this? Right. Uh, uh, what we know about the histories of the. Uh, Inca Empire and all the kings and stuff is, uh -huh. is it was registered on the kipus, so they figured out how to translate that pretty good. Well, this one priest guy, he did an interpretation of this beautiful poem. I mean, uh, I read the English translation of the of Spanish uh, translation of the kipu, right? Right. Um, and it's just as beautiful. It rivals the Song of Songs. And uh, so you go, wow. So what this guy's done, they found enough kipus now. You got to have a wide enough spread, you know. I mean, you got to, yeah, you I'm sure can't it's quite get much long. out of one. Yeah, you have sure to have you, a collection of yeah, them to start chain. comparing sure. uh, the knots and stuff. So what this one guy found is a, a, a lot of these things, translations from into the Spanish was made. The uh, priest and this one guy could do kipu and um, write in Spanish. And uh, they said, "Can we, if we found the corresponding kipu with the text in Spanish, right. you have a key. we'd have a key. And so that's what the guy's trying to figure out now. The, the reason why it couldn't be done before is because there was uh, not enough kipu. Yeah, First of all, it's, it's thread. It. Yeah, and they destroyed, they wanted to wipe out the pagan language. Right. And that's what that one priest was trying to do, is trying to save uh, that culture because he thought it was important. Yeah, and it they, was because it was an advanced civilization. Extremely advanced. Yeah. So um, that's my story. <laughs> I'm sticking to it. Oh, it's because you were talking about codes and right. stuff, and they're trying to uh, break the code on the kipu. Oh, I have an update of, uh, about, you know, John Lilly. We did a thing yes. before in the interspecies communication yes, thing. Yes, yes. I forgot. You have an update. 
and okay you know he tried to use computer systems yeah but they to were record too it, they were too primitive right, right. that he couldn't oh uh, i know where you're going with this okay yeah, now so now with the new ai models what they do and this just fascinated me yeah did you know like all you got to do is get enough data enough sure. a pool right. of things so yeah, um, the AIs actually teach themselves. And what it's they don't they turn the language into these geometric patterns. That's smart. Okay? So what happens is it don't matter say the word dog. So you say the dog in English, Spanish, Italian, Japanese, Whatever. doesn't matter what language you speak it in. Right. Uh, these geometric models They'll pull out the little model that's the dog, and they all are the same. They all fit. They're they had all the to same turn. Shape. Yeah, they're all the same shape. They had to turn the Japanese one upside down, but it fit. And that's funny. They live on the other side of the world. And it's kind of upside down. <laughs> that's funny. So now they're starting to try to apply it to interspecies communication. Okay. So what they've gotten so far is they figured out the bee waggle dance. Really? So now they build these little robots, and they can send them bees wherever they want them. That's crazy. Yeah, that is crazy, huh? Uh, still, dolphins are stumpers, man. Because yeah, didn't they, you say it overloaded the computer when they tried to do it? Well, they well uh, no, but uh, they speak in like 3D. That's they're interesting. They're sonar people, you know? Right. And now they're having a little better with bats. They're starting with bats. There is a lady that's out there recording the dolphins. You got to get recordings of both their uh, their behavior at the same time. You know, you got to uh, uh, match the speaking with, uh, with the what's, movement. Yeah, what's going on at the same time. Uh, but they have really started making progress on elephants of all things. Really? Yeah, and it's just amazing. They yeah, have didn't such you say they? They figured out that the elephants name their children when they're born? Yes. The elephants name their children when they're born. And, they, and uh, animals come to their specific names. So they've gotten that far using the That's AI. impressive. Yeah, it is. Uh, but what they say is they have to be in the field constantly. Right. Making recordings of the animals and... Um, uh, also recording their movements or responses. Yeah, and, because the movement is part of it. Right, especially with dolphins. Right. Uh, yeah, so that's my update with John Lilly. He was, he, was, he was just too far ahead of his time. He was. It's like Tesla, same thing. He and, you know, uh, he did call the human brain the biocomputer. He was the one that, that coined that phrase. Well, it's true. Yeah. I, I heard a study once where they tried to figure out, like, how much disk space your memories actually use. And it was like a petabyte. Like there's literally like multiple petabytes inside your head. That's yeah. like a thousand terabytes. So I actually seen speeches, uh, patterns, uh, languages in geometric models and there were little geometry in this big geometry. And uh, they make these relations, like they start making connections because they're all connected, but they have right. clusters. 
And uh, so uh, they start thinking like, uh, what's the um, king man? Uh, well, anyway. Uh, it's mind-blowing. I'm really glad it's happening. And, you know, everybody thinks AI is going to be the Terminator. You know, well, I, I, if you leave it in the hands of corporate greed, the military-industrial complex, consumer. Sure. Uh, well, there, there's an Money is the bottom line. There's a military project called Skynet. <laughs> That's and, all I've got to uh, say. Okay, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's not going to work out. Well, because but it's got to have regulations on this thing. Well, because but, AIs are coldly rational. That uh, that's always been the problem with the concept of an AI. You know, there there's a whole thing about Asimov's laws for robotics that you know the robot cannot do anything that by its action or will would hurt a human. Well, that only counts if if you program that in. Now, what are they? Dimension X. Had an episode yes, about that read by Ray Bradbury. <laughs> but but that's but that's the danger is that the the AI is coldly rational. I know, but your ability to have the communicator, and they already have them that communicates from one language to the other. So I actually, but if you can talk like Doctor Doolittle, I think that would bind our world together. Oh, I think so too. But I actually saw a demo many 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 years ago. I worked for Cisco Systems, not the one that, that delivers food to restaurants, the one that makes <laughs> switches and, and routers and stuff. And Cisco has a telephone system. And we saw a demo. This is years and years. This is over 10 years ago, right? And so we'd have these international, you know, all-hands meetings. I mean, you know, we all sit through an all-hands meeting, right? And normally, you know, we work for small companies or whatever. It's like 50 people or 100 people. We had all hands meetings where there were like 30 or 40,000 people. Wow. It would actually stress WebEx. Well, this one time we're watching it and he's got, it was a prototype and he's got this guy in Spain and he picks up his Cisco phone and he calls John Chambers, who is at the time the head of Cisco. He calls him up and he starts speaking Spanish into the telephone. And on the other end, John Chambers is hearing it in English, that it was translating in real time as the guy in Spain was talking. And what did the one guy say to the other? The rain in Spain stays <laughs> mainly on the plane. Okay. But it worked. Yeah, but I'd like to do that with the animals. Oh, yeah. No, you I should know, it was Lily's work and people like him that caused the Marine Protection, Marine Mammal Protection Act. Well, that's, you know, that, that, those interconnections, you know, when I was a little kid, I used to watch, you know, a show called Connections with James Burke. I've told you that before. And, it, you know, the whole show, you can find it on YouTube, but the whole show was about him showing you how, you know, somebody catching butterflies in the, in the 18th or 19th century, you know, led to the atomic bomb. That it's it's all those interconnections through time. It's yeah. I mean they they the chaos effect. Huh? Oh, the chaos theory. <laughs> yeah, the butterfly so a butterfly's effect. wing. Yeah, the butterfly effect. Huh? Well, <laughs> I mean that's the the butterfly effect is probably why one of the reasons why time travel will probably never happen. You know what, uh, 
It's just because somebody put something out into the, just out. Into and, the ether. And uh, and then you don't know what the results are. It's the pebble thrown in the middle and then the waves. Yeah, And uh, so a lot of times the origins of, uh, so we were talking that the, uh, uh, the arts um, shape our perceptions of the world. They do. And how we perceive the world and how we organize the world. So it's arts true. and culture. And, uh, and it's real obvious when you look at pop art. Yes. You know, and then when you try to chase down, like we did with uh, Doc Savage and uh, oh, yeah. all the superheroes and stuff. Right. And then there are uh, other things, um, like I, I hope we get to talk to that one guy because uh, now I'm really uh, The guy in, out. in Mona Lake? No, I'm talking about, you know, I don't want to build people's hopes up and not. So the other night when we were closing up last week, yeah, got an opportunity to talk to just a minute to this horror host. Oh, Mr. Lobo. Uh, on the yeah. thing. We'll and you said, this guy... There's no horror host that he don't know. And then That's I'm true. thinking, you know, I heard about this guy. And right. I asked him, and he said, man, well, what region was he from? Yeah, because you know? with, with it's, it's a thing that he can do. Yeah. And it's if you give him a time period in, a, in a, a city, like a big city, he can tell you which horror host was on. But and you stumped him. Yeah, but I yeah, but I described the guy to a T because I re, mm -hmm. I've heard recordings of him. He was a radio guy, but he also became a horror host. Right, and it's funny how that and he was, you know, I'd like him to be here to talk about the history of it. How yeah, no, we'll how uh, Universal sold their rights to Screen Gems, and then they made little packages and sold it to all these affiliates to all right. these different networks. And they even came out with a little book that tells you uh, uh, you should, since these movies are so old, they don't really last. The two hours are supposed to last for right. your programming slot. But if you put in a horror host. It'll take care of it. And then there was this rash of horror, uh, horror hosts, and they're all regional. Yeah, they're all Re regional. Regional people. But well, I mean, today, you know, we have like uh, Joe Bob and Elvira, you know, Lobo himself. I mean, I think he's on. No, he uh, there, like seventeen channels now or twenty channels, and he just got a new one. Yeah, he just got a new. He gets one. He a was, new one every he, day. He was uh, no, he was actually pretty excited uh, oh, about was. this station in particular, and he revived his membership. You become a uh, sleepless night, sleepless night of insomnia, <laughs> which you belong to. I, I do. I, he's I'm, a card carrying. I'm a card carrying member of the yeah. sleepless night. But he's in the yellow chair, just like Bob Wilkins. Yeah, you got. But it he's dressed as an Ernie Kovacs character. Yeah. And then I realized there's a lot of stuff. A little Twilight Zone, a little Gomez. Oh yeah, um, and just a little straight up humor. He he actually he has a supercomputer that he calls Abacus, and it's spelled A B B A. Like uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got a call today, and he says, "Hey, I'm I'm filling in uh, for a day." And then I went there, and I said, uh, "Hey, uh, is Phil here?" He says, "He's in for Dave." And uh, he goes, "Phil who?" And I said, "Phil in." <laughs> <laughs> we have a little too much fun toward the end of the show. 
No, but Lobo, <laughs> Lobo, you know, and the interesting thing about him is that you know he can talk about movies and whatever, but you know he he really he can really explain the philosophical side of it, which I think you'll find fascinating. Is is what you talk about how these horror hosts, you know, they changed. They changed their culture. Yeah, they, they and changed it depended the very on where you grew up. Now there were a few that became so big, right? But then you try to taste it, and he knew the very first horror host of uh, uh, Vampira. Yeah, Vampira, uh, and that was like fifty-five. That was even before most people had a television, right? You know. But in 1958, this guy, I, I couldn't think of what his name was. And the reason why I knew him is because he's mostly known for Cleveland radio. Okay. But uh, he was there, Cleveland's area's first horror host on television. Yeah, he sounds like a real... And he was a beatnik hipster. Yeah. And uh, he would broadcast from his Dracula Hall. Uh, he'd start the show with the bubbling cauldron. I like that. And then he always rhymed. And he came up with these real, Obladi, Oblada. Now, this is 1958. Right. And, and I go, Obladi, Is that where the Beatles got it? And then he goes, yeah, Scooby-Doo, where are you? And I, wait a minute. Is this where Scooby-Doo came, came from? from? You know, wavy gravy. And I go, wait a minute, is that you, Romney, adopted that name? And um, I could, and some of his commercials, his, his, the people that sponsored him was Gillette. And he did a Martian shave routine. Oh, and then this horror monster that was losing his job because they couldn't put the makeup <laughs> on him okay. uh, because his face was so raw from the mother blades. And then once uh, uh, once he started using Gillette, they could put that makeup on so slick that uh, they hear he's going to get an Oscar next time around. <laughs> uh, but the guy was this. And then I realized he played this old 50 music from 58, you know? And that's right. like, uh, I love the old rhythm and blues stuff that, uh, sure. uh, that that music was. And it was like the original of... The, he would do a sock hop at uh, Franklin Castle, the most haunted building in Ohio. I think we should do a sock hop at somewhere incredibly haunted. Yeah, wouldn't that be great? It would be. And it doesn't have to be Halloween. You know, I had a friend. Although he, I seen the playbill, it said October 12th. I have, I have a, I had a friend, and he has a show, and he, uh, he wanted to kind of do something like that. He actually got the suits. I think it was on Halloween night. He got the suits worn by John Wayne Gacy when he went to to trial, because he he was kind of working with the lawyer to do some shows about Gacy and serial killers and whatever. And he took them. They had an event at a. It was in the. It was at a bar in the basement. The bar was in the basement of this building, and. They've got all the suits, and you know you could walk up and touch the the suit that John Wayne Gacy wore and whatever. And he said that at one point he was uh, I don't know the what right way to say this, but he was kind of trying to egg G Gacy's ghost to like show up, and he like put on one of the suits, and he was like walking around talking to people. He's like, "Come on, come on, Gacy, show up!" Right? And apparently uh, Gacy. His face appeared in every single tel every single television 
in the bar, went to static, and then Gacy's face appeared. And then it went to static, and then it went back to, like, ESPN or whatever they were showing. Wow. Wish you got that on film. Yeah, that's what I said. That'd be as good as uh, Bigfoot. Well, I know. <laughs> Well, that's the one thing about the the symposium. They, they were like, "Oh, we see Bigfoot tracks everywhere." It's like, hook me up. They should. And you know what really gets me is like uh, the Bigfoot Research Organization, the BFRO. Yeah. Uh, you can sign up for their yearly tours or yeah. whatever that they they take you Bigfooting, and you pay them like a couple thousand dollars or something. I don't know exactly how much it is. And where do they take you? Tuolumne County. Yeah, and it's it's all we have a list. Here, I'll, I'll read it off to you. Okay. So any trailhead at Highlands Lake, uh, take high, uh, road eight or Highway one hundred eight towards Pinecrest. Exit on Crabtree Road. Go left to Spin Meadows. Then you go right toward Bell Meadow on Bell Mountain. Then go, Bell Meadow, yeah. yeah. Bell Meadow is apparently a good spot. Yeah, it is. Uh, Clark's Fork, off of 108. Apparently, they kept talking about that one. Uh, off to the right, or go off to the left, then go right. Hull at the, Creek, Herring Creek, uh, Sand Flat, Sand Campground. Flat. Apparently, yeah. Sand that Flat's I big. found a nest. I, I, I used Flat. to go out and do work crews. Right, and I never saw the big guy, but Knox, and there was like a Joker in our outfit, and he goes, "Hey, Knox," and he'd knock, and it would knock back, and we're in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, I think. And I, then when we found that nest, it, they hadn't had a camp host for like a year. Sometimes they have people that go out there and sure. stay as camp host, and uh, there hadn't been one. That's why they were trying to enlist us to go do it. Yeah, and uh, s- since we you'd got make a there, good camp host. You think I uh, Oh, yeah. You just need an RV. <laughs> Stay in the RV and watch television. Watch uh, uh, Mr. Lobo's horror films. Cinemainsomnia.com. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and then they said the Carson Iceberg Wilderness. Oh, yeah. And and they said that when you go to the trailheads for these places like like Bell Meadow or Clark's Fork. That's it. The trailhead where the road ends. The liminal space. Yeah. That is where the they said ends. look look for footprints there, and it, and it is mm-hmm. it's where the two meet. Yeah, I think I might need to take a trip out to Bell Meadow. Yeah, well, you know what, you should uh, or Sand Flat. Um, you should go in the Squatch Mobile. <laughs> she go. No, they're my neighbors. Those guys, Jerry. Uh, Jerry will take us. Yeah, he will. Hey, they got the. Um, uh, the Bigfoot statue back at Strawberry. I know, so happy about that. It seems smaller, diminished. Somehow. It does. It does not have the magnitude that it had when it was in like Sugar Pine. Ah, so I, I, don't I think it was because that. when it was in Sugar Pine, they it was said on that's a stump. the original one. Yeah, so. but it was like on a stump. Okay, so, so just it was taller. Yeah. I have photographs. I should compare the two. You should. But I was so happy to see that was a commemoration of so there's so many sightings there. They don't keep a uh, map with pins in it in the store anymore, huh? No. Uh, Not the last time I went. Because it was new people that took took it over. They Originally, I think they sold it or something. Yeah. And then realized their mistake um, because that's so much ingrained into our culture up here. It is. And, uh, 
And you know, I don't know if they do anymore, but the the uh, the motel across the street, um, the Strawberry Inn, they have really good Czech food, like Czechoslovakian or mm-hmm. Czech Republic, yeah. Slovak. Really good. I don't know if they still have it or not, but I used to get goulash up there. All right, so good. <laughs> so so you found the nest at Sand Flat. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna go to Sand Flat. Damn it. Go scope it out. uh, Jerry. Well, I think we should talk to Jerry and arrange an adventure. Then we can record it and then play it. Yeah. That'd be fun, right? Jerry likes to be on the radio. But he gets all kind of, he's, well, you know those like, well, you know, I don't say much. You know, it's like. um, Aloof? No, not aloof. He's really shy around people. He's the outdoor guy. Yeah, he goes, uh, you know, out outdoors and stuff. Well, you, and he gets shy. Well, we should yeah. talk to him about doing it. And, and like I said, but then we, when I got him on the radio, he really liked it. But uh, yeah, he, but we'll do it in the forest. Bring your recorder. Yeah. We'll do it in. the Oh forest. yeah, we'll do it in his natural environment. Yeah, we'll go out. He picks a spot. We'll go Sasquatch hunting and and record it. You know, we'll play it during our normal time. We just won't broadcast live that week. I don't even know if you could get an internet connection. We don't need it. We just record it. We're going to bring our task hands. Yeah, it'll be a pre-recorded show. Probably the Sierra Sounds. There you go. (laughs) Hey, if you're going to play numbers all night long, number channels, uh, I should bring in Sierra Sounds and just play those. Yeah. One night night after the show, instead of eight hours of psychedelic music, we'll play Forest Sounds. Sierra Sounds. Um, I used those so I could interview Bigfoot. I, I, I would love a, I have her recording of that. There you go. So I no, ask we'll her questions, you know. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, it's that time again. <laughs> oh, the thing is spinning. It's spinning. Okay, well, we'll just keep talking. <laughs> just buffering. It'll, oh, I know, I know. It'll come right. No, but I, I think it was an interesting show. There we go. Yeah, without that bed, that's just what keeps things moving along. I love this here. I love getting into that old 58 rock. You know, the, oh, yeah. the cramps. Oh, the cramps. Uh, Wrote a song called Mad Daddy, and that, that it was, was about that guy, yeah. So he's really big, and that's what oh, he made 145. Okay, because those sound checks are kind of you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily like to play them on the radio, yeah. But he did 145, and I got a good, good and it's copy. his own language, you know. I actually, for when when Halloween rolls around, I actually have a a, a recording that was done by uh, Vincent Price about witchcraft. I thought that'd be fun on, like, Halloween night. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. It's very moody. Well, anyway. I got uh, the Huckleberry Hound hollering. It's got Yogi Bear. Hey, let's play it, man. (laughs) We'll do it after Witchcraft. I think that's only, like, 45 minutes. It's two records. (laughs) Anyway, you've been listening to the Enigma Hour with Captain Tiki and Captain Dave. Reporting for duty, sir. Reporting for duty, yes. I'm I'm on Facebook. Uh, Olaf Phillips, you can find me. I'm on Instagram, uh, Captain Tiki Show. Uh, send me a message. 
Uh, definitely subscribe to the podcast off of Apple Music, SoundCloud. All and join f- us to explore life's little mysteries. Life's little mysteries. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening. Uh, we're going to uh, bail out here a little bit early so I can play some number stations for you guys. And uh, remember, we broadcast live on KADLP. Uh, 103.5 FM Sonora, California, and on KAD-LP.org live every Thursday from 10 p.m. to midnight. Thanks a lot. Bye.